It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Oh, and here's a little bit of a reveal. Uh, Simon & Schuster is actually publishing a children's book about Dr. Fauci, uh, how a boy from Brooklyn became America's doctor. That tells you something about media when Fauci gets his own children's book. How a boy from Brooklyn gets his own, uh, whatever he got his own, uh, Simon & Schuster, they're the ones that uh, canceled uh, Josh Hawley's book recently, but uh, they're going to do a book on uh, the champion, the hero, America's doctor, uh, Anthony Fauci, who has done more damage, arguably, to this country in terms of its economics, its psychological well-being. And when you go out, if you're like me, you still see people covering, hovering in masks. It's amazing to me. How do they not hear what we're hearing? How do they think that they still must cower and be scared to death? When even, all right, uh, you know, rather than me saying this, I'm going to pick on who I think would I would choose for America's doctor, and that's Dr. Um, Senator Rand Paul. Rand uh, sort of put this in perspective better than anyone that I know. Let's listen to clip 10. Welcome to day 367 of 15 days to slow the spread. Proponents of the economic lockdowns promised it would be just 15 days to flatten the curve. Instead of 15 days, the lockdown has now gone on for over a year. Early on in the pandemic, As we all remember, there were projections that hospitals would be full and have to turn away people. Medical equipment was in short supply. Businesses were closing. What they hoped would be on a temporary basis as government started locking down their economies and telling people to stay home. At that time, when programs like PPP were created, no one was under the belief that we would still be doing this a year later, with no end in sight. The PPP program was devised as an emergency stopgap to keep businesses running and people on payroll at their job instead of having to be laid off. It's been a year now. The virus is in full retreat. Hospitalizations are declining rapidly. Vaccines have been rolling out since December. Instead of touting these incredible successes and offering people hope, governments keep moving the goalposts. Our hospitals are not overcrowded. We don't have PPE shortages. All the reasons the economy locked down in the first place are no longer a concern. It's time to reopen our economy. What we have learned is that this continued stream of money from Washington has encouraged way too many governors and mayors to keep their economies closed indefinitely. They stifle their economies, roll yellow police tape across store shelves, and threaten small businesses with revoking licenses or worse then demand Washington clean up their mess when the businesses have to shut down for good. We should demand these elected officials stop imposing arbitrary rules and stop illogically picking winners and losers. We simply can't keep printing and borrowing trillions of dollars when the best thing we can do to provide relief now is to simply reopen the economy. All right, so that was a Senator Rand Paul 
And that was just part of what he said. I have. I want to play a lot more of, of his interaction and his interaction with Dr. Fauci. I know it was last week, but uh, we haven't talked about it, and it has to be heard. And because I see so many people out still hovering and cowering and scared to death. I have a friend who told me that uh, a gentleman friend of his that he plays golf with ha- hasn't been out of his house in months. He finally came out to play golf, and the men were going to go for lunch at a restaurant, and he could. he thought, when they walked in the restaurant, he said, oh, I thought you were eating outside. And this is a former CEO of a company, by the way, in his mask, cowering. And they said, no, there's no there's no seating outside. We're going to go inside. And my mutual friend said the man began to shake. He literally began to shake because he was afraid to go into the restaurant to eat with the other men. That's how ridiculous this is. And because most people, for some reason, are not getting any other part of the story, I feel compelled to keep telling it. And it reminds me of the very real dangers that Rand alluded to. Uh, And so I want to bring to you the story of Marlena Pavlos Hockney. She's the owner of Marlena's Bistro and Pizzeria in Holland, Michigan. She was on with Tucker Carlson just probably the end of last week, I'm guessing. Uh, And so uh, I want you to hear what she had to say. Marlena is from... Poland. She's a naturalized citizen. But let's hear what she has to say about what's been happening to her. Clip 14. I didn't break any law. Thus, imposed by the government rules and regulations under the constitutional law, they are not a laws. They are just orders. And as you know, the judge unconstitutionally sent uh, give me a warrant bench for my arrest without a bond so she violated my rights under the sixth amendment because i also asked to have assist of counselor which she denies so i'm gonna fight and i'm not gonna give up she tried to put me in fear so I will follow her rules, which is I have to close my place and follow the rules and restrictions. This is not going to happen because we are the people, small business owners. We have to fight for our survival. Government and government agency, they have a job security. We, the people, small business owners, like I told you, we have to fight. And I will fight for freedom for American people, and I encourage everyone, business owners, other people, stand up and fight for your freedom before it's gonna be taken away. And this what we see right now in this country is unacceptable. And we have to do the movement before it's too late. This is a God country. God created this land, and we have the rights to equal use not just some government who leads and imposes all those rules and regulations. So God bless you all and let's do the movement. Let's stick together because now is the time. We cannot wait any longer. We have to take control. We have to have a strong leadership, not communist party who's gonna control and is gonna take all us rights away. So please, Stand up, America, now is the time. That was Marlena Pavlos Hackney. She's 55 years old. She left communism in Poland in 1983, came to America in 1988. She became a citizen in 1992. 
Uh, she did close her restaurant for about three months when the thing first started, and then she realized that uh, the things that she was being told were not true. And so she opened her restaurant, and by the way, she was on with Tucker, what, I don't know, three or four nights ago. The next morning, early in the morning, she was arrested, and she is in jail. And as I understand it, she's going to be in jail for 90 days. This restaurant owner of this Michigan pizzeria in Holland, Michigan, I don't know if they're still open, Marlena's uh, Bistro and Pizzeria in Holland, but if they are, those of you listening in my uh, you know, area, go there, go, go and buy pizza, and eat lots of it, and bring people in, and do what you can, those of you that are near her geographically, to support her, because you hear the passion in her voice. She saw communism firsthand. She says, we have to fight now, because they will control us. We have to fight now. I've seen this in my country. And so let that be a warning. Now let me go back to Rand Paul, because he takes on Anthony Fauci, you know, the, uh, the boy from Brooklyn who is now America's doctor, he takes him on. This, this smiling, laughing, uh, smug Fauci has caused this situation for Marlena and others, thousands across this country who are losing their businesses, losing their livelihoods, their savings are being drained. This is disgraceful. So the smiling, lying, laughing Fauci said this. Uh, he was on The Daily Show, I think, uh, about a year ago. And this is what he had to say about whether or not you had immunity from COVID after you had come down with COVID. Let's listen to clip six. With regards to reinfection and immunity, we talk about people who have it and are asymptomatic. We talk about people who are recovering and we're starting to see those numbers grow around the world. Do we know yet if getting corona and surviving corona means that you're now immune to the disease or is there a chance of reinfection? Uh, we don't know that for 100% certain because we haven't done the study to see re-challenges, whether they've been protected. But I feel really confident that if this virus acts like every other virus that we know, once you get infected, get better, clear the virus, that you'll have immunity that will protect you against reinfection. So it's never 100%, but I'd be willing to bet anything that people who recover are really protected against reinfection. Well, that was then. And this is now. Dr. Fauci was uh, quizzed uh, by Senator Rand Paul in the Senate just last week. And this is how it went down. This is clip eight. Given that no scientific studies have shown significant numbers of reinfections of patients previously infected or previously vaccinated, what specific studies do you cite to argue that the public should be wearing masks well into 2022? I'm not sure I understand the connection of what you're saying about masks and reinfection. We're talking about people who have never been infected before. You're telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, you it's had not. the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let, let, let's get down to the facts. Okay, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper they specifically say this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. And what study per, can you point to that shows significant let, reinfection? There are no studies that show just significant let, let, me, let me finish 
response to your question, if you please. The other thing is that when you talk about reinfection and you don't keep in the concept of variance, that's an entirely different ball game. That's a good reason for a mask. In the South African study conducted by J&J, they found that people who were infected with wild type and were exposed to the variant in South Africa, the 351, it was as if they had never been infected before. They had no protection. So when you talk about reinfection, you've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months if point you're infected. But we in our country though, now have variants that are circulating. Significant reinfection. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, so uh, you see, Dr. Fauci's not used to debating with a uh, doctor. He's used to debating with, you know, like senators who don't know anything about this. So he goes off on this. This is reinfection. This is in vitriol. He uses all these words. And Rand Paul's not having it. He's just not having it. And so we're going to listen to this last clip. You guys hold the break just long enough to finish the clip. This is clip nine. This is the interaction between Senator Rand Paul, Dr. Senator Rand Paul, and, uh, you know, America's doctor, the boy from Brooklyn, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Let's listen. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild type versus variants. And what, now, proof reinf- is there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're well, having one one seven that's becoming you're more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the it isn't based that we're on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it, and yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any sign. I I totally disagree with you. Yes, of course, you fool. You fool, Dr. Paul. How do you know? I am the uh, boy from Brooklyn who became America's doctor. I know all about this. Of course, Dr. Fauci, if I had time, I'd play the clip last March where he said masks don't really do anything. They just make you feel better. We'd play that clip, but I've run out of time here. But that's, you know, that boy from Brooklyn who became America's doctor who speaks out of both sides of his mouth and destroys people's businesses and their livelihood and their children's ability to go to school and their social well-being and has created isolation and loneliness and yes, suicide. That's America's doctor. Yeah. I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. 
This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MetaShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MetaShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MetaShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs. And because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by March 31st. You can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Regina LaBelle, Acting Director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy. She leads the anti-drug efforts in the United States and serves as an advisor to the President. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 reminds us of the importance of caring for ourselves. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Regina LaBelle. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is facing heat from conservatives and religious liberty leaders. For months, she had promised to protect female athletes, urging lawmakers to craft legislation that would ban boys from playing in girls' sports and vice versa. But when Republican lawmakers passed a bill to do just that, Governor Noem refused to sign. She said it would unfairly punish female athletes on the collegiate level. She sent the bill back to the legislature, urging them to gut protections for female college athletes. Now, religious liberty experts say the governor's decision is misguided. Alliance Defending Freedom accused her of placating national corporations like Amazon. And I have no doubt that Governor Noem is facing stiff opposition from the business community as well as LGBT activists. But that's no excuse to turn your back on your values or your voters. Governor Noem is at a crossroads. Does she stay true to her roots or does she become a conservative in name only? I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, we were talking a lot about COVID, so it kind of links to our next story because, uh, at least in part, the border, of course, is exploding. You're hearing that from all news sources. You know a lot about it without me filling in all the blanks, but one thing that's being emphasized is that there's just no protection 
Uh, so many of them are testing positive for COVID. Speaking of all the concern about COVID that uh, Anthony Fauci, America's doctor, seems to have. And uh, there seem to be no protections, and they're jammed in there like sardines. And so we know what happens when people are in close contact, when families, uh, especially minority communities where they live closely, the thing spreads exponentially. But there are a lot of concerns at the border. And Tom Holman, who was the, uh, was the acting director of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement during the Trump administration, weighed in. I want you to hear what he had to say. Let's listen. The, the policies of the Biden administration, let me be clear, they have given a green light to child traffickers, a green light to sex traffickers. Look, no one celebrated more the Biden uh, uh, winning the election than the criminal cartels in Mexico because they're back in business. The children, under the Trump administration, they say, they still talk about, the secretary still talking about family separation of 2,500 that were separated because their parents were prosecuted. Just like every U.S. citizen family, when a parent gets prosecuted and the rest of them, they get separated. What they don't talk about is right now there's over 15,000 children in custody of HHS or sitting in Border Patrol stations who parents chose, chose to hire a criminal organization they're smuggling a child to the United States, and no one talks about that inhumanity. The secretary said the other day on, on the press briefing that loving parents send their kids to the border. Are you, are you serious? Loving parents don't put their kids in the arms of criminal organizations. The children that come across now, they're going to be put in licensed daycare, and, and the government's going to complete the criminal conspiracy because the parent only has to pay the criminal cartels to get their child to the border. The U.S. government will pay the rest of the trip to get them to reunite the very people that conspired with criminal organizations to have them smuggled here. This, we, this, in, the, in the history of this nation, Mark, we have a president that is facilitating illegal immigration on the border because there is no consequence, there's no deterrence. When you open the gates, let them in and release them, knowing they're never going to leave. Facilitating the criminal cartels making millions of dollars. Facilitating the, the, the sexual assault, which is 31% of women that make this trip get sexually assaulted. Children are going to die. Mark my word. I've been there. I've seen it. And President Trump, the guy with my left shoulder right here, he got it. Why did he get it? Because he listened to the men and women of the Border Patrol. He listened, he listened to guys like me who spent their career doing this. And he secured our border. This president right now isn't talking to anybody. You got 60 to 80,000 law enforcement officers who feel abandoned by this administration. Their morale is in the toilet because they know they cannot do the job and keep up the oath they took to defend this nation and secure our border. The voice of Tom Holman, acting, former acting director of U.S. Immigration and Customs during the Trump administration. Uh, what a difference an election makes. I can't think of anyone who has more passion about that than my next guest. Rosemary Jenks has really poured her life into this. She's the director of uh, governmental affairs for Numbers USA. Uh, Rosemary, that sounds very, you know, she has the same title I have. But let me just say, Rosemary has her degree, her law degree from Harvard, uh, she is a serious academic, uh, but her passion on the issue of securing America's border is second to none, and she joins us this morning. Rosemary, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Sandy. So, Rosemary, just to help us to understand, since you guys are into numbers, how do the numbers compare? We've, we've heard generalities, but how do the numbers compare with those uh, during the worst time of the Obama administration and the, the influx at the border? Well, you know, it's interesting because even DHS Secretary Mayorkas has admitted that we're on track to reach a 20-year high uh, on apprehension numbers at the border. But the, the real story is the number of unaccompanied alien children, and it has skyrocketed. In January and February, the numbers have shot up drastically. And as Tom Homan said, there are more than 15,000 
unaccompanied alien children in U.S. custody right now, and we don't have anywhere to put them. I mean, the fact that we're putting, and most of them, by the way, are teenagers. They're teenage boys. At least they say they're teenagers. And 3,000 of them are being put in the Dallas Convention Center. They're being spread out across the country. They're not being tested for COVID before they're being packed into, you know, tight spaces. And it's a tragedy waiting to happen, and it is happening, of course, and the administration has zero plan to deal with it. It is just astonishing that, you know, this is purely predictable. We all said as soon as you start reversing the Trump policies that actually got the border in control, this is what's going to happen. And unfortunately, we were right. Rosemary, I say this often on the air, so this question's not new to my listeners, but I will ask you because you are the expert. Why are they doing this? Why are they allowing this? You know, it's a very good question, and I don't think that I have a a good answer. Um, You know, part of it is Trump derangement syndrome. It's just that, you know, whatever Trump did has to be reversed immediately. And I think that was the the initial stage of this when President Biden just went down the list and and reversed all these policies just because they were Trump policies. Um, But the other thing is, I don't think that the Democrats have any problem with hundreds of thousands of people flooding into our country from from abroad illegally. Um, I don't think they really care. The thing they do care about is the the public relations aspect of it. So what they want to do is not allow the media into the facilities where the, you know, kids in cages. They don't want to have the media showing images of people rushing across the border. So, you know, the, the way that they will address that is to start flying them to the northern border for processing or start, you know, moving them around the country. So if you see the administration start to say, well, we've got the border under control, you can assume that it is not under control but that they have figured out more ways to move people away from the border and into our country. And again, without testing them. And where are these people going to go? They're going to go into black and brown communities, which are, you know, we know that, that blacks and Hispanics are more susceptible to severe forms of COVID and people are going to die. They are going to die in a number of ways. Plus, we're going to choking out the resources of the country. Uh, you don't remember during that Democratic debate, Rosemary, I know you do, when they all pledged to that they would provide medical care for illegal immigrants. Do you remember that? They all took that yep. pledge. They were just fine with yep. that. And that's just a microcosm of all the benefits uh, of being an American citizen. Uh, by the way, I just, here's a headline this morning, Biden administration awards $86.9 million contract to house family units at the border. And then also illegal immigrants are supposed to receive four point. $38 billion in stimulus checks from that, you know, for the people, or the COVID relief bill, the emergency bill to help Americans, $4.38 billion to illegal immigrants. So that's just an example of the kinds of resources that are being poured into people who are not citizens, don't pay taxes, do not have the rights of the American citizenship. It just, it renders our passports and our, 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 our American family really meaningless um, so let me ask you, Rosemary, you and I've talked in the past a lot about that whole, um, cottage industry of, uh, these, uh, sometimes religious organizations, uh, who build these 
have built homes and temporary dwellings and quarters and schools and very elaborate settings for these kids coming across the border. That happened during the Obama administration. What do you know about that happening now? Well, the Biden administration is reopening some of those facilities that were closed under President Trump because they weren't needed. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're going right back to o- the Obama era. But I just want to point out, Sandy, you, you mentioned the $86 million contract to provide hotel rooms for illegal aliens and their families. But th- at the same time we're doing that, remember that the National Guard troops who came to D.C. to protect the Capitol were forced to sleep in a parking garage. Now, just think about the, the juxtaposition there. It's disgusting. Well, plus food, plus the food they were given, you know, that was just uh, yep. had metal parts in it and was just garbage. They fed them garbage, the National Guard, and, the, and I'm sure they're not feeding garbage to the illegal immigrants coming across the border. Nope. It is shocking at every level. I guess we'll ever get over our shock because there's nothing they won't do. I also, Rosemary, we have to talk about this, so there's so much to cover, but because your, your bailiwick is government relations and you follow what's happening in Congress, tell us about those two bills that just passed in the House a couple of days ago. Yeah, it is astonishing, Sandy, that at the same time that we are facing a, a border crisis of epic proportions, House Democratic leadership thinks that the you know, legislative solution is amnesty. So they brought up two amnesty bills. One would give uh, amnesty to around 3 million so-called dreamers plus another few hundred thousand people with temporary protected status. The other one would give amnesty to farm workers, illegal farm workers, and their family members, their spouses and minor children. And so for a total of somewhere around 5 million, most likely, would get amnesty under these two bills. And the worst part was that 30 Republicans actually voted to give amnesty to illegal farm workers in the middle of a border crisis. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So, of course, we're going to see an increase in the surge at the border because Congress is talking about amnesty. Now, if we think that a $1,400 check to an illegal alien is a reward for coming illegally or free health care or, you know, all of the other benefits, free education for their children – Think about the reward of giving them legal status and a path to citizenship. That's the ultimate reward. And then they're entitled to every benefit, every welfare program, everything that, that Americans provide. You know, of course they're going to come. Yes. And, of course, uh, the, American, the back of Americans will break. We can't. The Treasury is almost bust as it is. That's just the plain right. fact. I, I was in the elevator with a, with a senator several years ago. And he looked at me and he said, Sandy, we're going to go bankrupt. We're going bankrupt. This was years ago, Rosemary. And he said, and I don't know what we're going to do. Nobody wants to talk about it. So uh, we are in yeah. a terrible situation with that. And this is adding the burden. The burden It's going to break the backs of America, of our families, our futures, our seniors. Uh, Social Security is going to go bust. Uh, Medicare, all of it. We won't have it. That's right. And, the, you know, the Democrats somehow think that money just grows on trees and they'll just keep spending and spending and spending, and, you know, at some point, it's going to come crashing down. Rosemary, every, you know, the, the Democrats have, a, like, a dream piece of legislation for every issue. You know, their, their ultimate wish list, they have it in this uh, H.R. 1 and S.R. 1, the, those uh, voting, the voting, the legalizing illegal voting and no voter ID and all of that. So what do they have in mind? We just have a few minutes left here. What is their dream bill for immigration? What more can we look forward to here? 
Well, I think that, that President Biden actually gave their dream bill to Congress in the form of the U.S. Citizenship Act that um, Linda Sanchez and Bob Menendez, respect in the House and Senate respectively, have introduced. And that is amnesty for every single illegal alien who can pretend that they were in the country by January 1st of this year. And it, in, it more than doubles legal immigration. Um, it, it is just breathless in its, in its uh, you know, proportions. Um, it includes zero enforcement, none, no enforcement whatsoever. So it is, again, inviting the next wave of illegal immigrants and, you know, doubling legal immigration so that basically the Democrats can replace the 70 million Trump voters. Rosemary, the obvious question, and I don't have an answer for this, and I suspect maybe we don't have an answer, but I'll have to ask, is there anything we can do to stop this? Yes, there's always something that the American people can do, and that is to be contacting your members of Congress, particularly right now in the Senate, to tell them not to pass amnesty, that the we've got to get the border under control. Public pressure does amazing things in Congress because the only thing members of Congress are afraid of is losing their next election. So if having, go ahead. It, well, if people go to Numbers USA, can they find? Uh, do you guys have a way to for people to communicate with their congressmen on this? Yes, if you go to NumbersUSA.com, there's a Join Us button at the top at the top of the page on the left. If you click that. And sign up. We will give you free ways to, to send emails and make phone calls to Congress, to your representatives and senators. We'll give you all the information you need to uh, about whatever issues are going on, including these two amnesty bills that we need to stop in the Senate, uh, and make it as easy as one click to do yep. that. Yeah, and Numbers USA, speaking of numbers, they have huge numbers, and they have been so effective in all the decades I've been following this. It seems like lots of decades now. Uh, we keep thinking we have a win, and we don't, Rosemary. We come back, you know, we win, and then we just lose, and they get they gain more ground. The people that don't care about uh, the sovereignty of this country, that's who I'm talking about, wh- whether they're Republicans or Democrats. But NumbersUSA.com, Rosemary Jenks, Director of Governmental Affairs, Rosemary Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Sandy. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you for standing with us, and we thank you for your support. Listen to Don. Join in every week. Dr. Greg Smalley of Focus on the Family. Listen to the wisdom this man gives and emulate that. Don, you do that so well. I definitely have learned over 20 plus years that we've been doing radio together. Mm. So many things from you. So find a guy that you look up to and just start learning. Encouragement Live with Don Hawkins. Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 Eastern. Here on American Family Radio. Blessed are you when people insult you, 
and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. It was announced last week that prosecutors in Canada have agreed to withdraw all but one of the Public Health Act offenses that Pastor James Coates was charged with. Additionally, after a month-long incarceration that began February 16th, Pastor Coates was finally released from jail without any conditions, pending his May 3rd trial on the one remaining charge of violating an order of the chief medical officer when he refused to limit corporate worship in the church he pastors due to COVID. Yeah, they put him in jail for that. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Democrats are pounding the table to get H.R. 1 passed into law, a bill that would do away with virtually every mechanism for election security, including photo ID, signature verification, and limits on ballot harvesting. It would guarantee Democrat victories until the end of time. But we use photo IDs for a whole bunch of things to get a driver's license, to get on an airplane, to open a bank account, and sign up for Medicare. Now it turns out that you are required to show a photo ID to get your coronavirus vaccine. No ID, no vaccine. Americans overwhelmingly approve the use of photo ID to vote by a 64 to 30 margin, including African Americans by a 50 to 41 margin. If we need photo ID to protect America's physical health from a virus, we certainly need it to protect America's political health from cheaters. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman has long courageously championed our constitutional republic, but today may see her finest hour as the host of a Regent University webinar on election integrity. The program will enable, at last, an informed public review of the evidence of electoral grand larceny in the last presidential race. Participants include Dr. Ben Carson, Mark Stein, and official and private sector election experts. Today's webinar will not only expose fatal flaws in a past election, the speakers will also illuminate how pending Senate legislation would codify and impose nationally the 2020 race's myriad procedural defects, precluding free and fair elections from now on. Catch the webinar at regent.edu backslash election integrity. Then tell your senators how you feel about S-1, legislation that would ensure every future election is compromised like the 2021. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. It's a time of year when we love to hear from you. You know, recently you guys flooded us with uh, suggestions for the show, but and that was just wonderful. I'm still reading them, and uh, we are taking those to heart. But this time... We're looking for listener stories, and this means just things that you hear on AFR Talk that uh, mean something to you, or uh, the, what AFR Talk means to you when you turn the radio on and when you uh, you switch on the app or you you know you plug in your phone, whatever it is you're doing. Um, what what does AFR mean to you? We're looking for those to play during our spring shareathon, and it always makes it fun. It's really fun, and it's your way kind of of being part of that with us. It helps other people who may be our new listeners to hear. 
kind of a, um, what it means to other people. And I think that's important. So if you would like to share a listener's story, you can call 877-876-8893. That's 877-876-8893. And uh, the thing of it is it'll talk you through how to do it. It's not a person. You're, it's an automated system. And it makes it easy. If you make a mistake, you can re-record. So don't be nervous about that. You can just think about what you want to say. Maybe make a few notes so that you can remember and call 877-876-8893, and we would love to use your story at our spring share which is coming up. All right, so so now then, we have a problem, Houston, because we have a president uh, who's losing his faculties. I'm sure you saw the video of him tripping, going up the steps of um, Air Force One. Three times he tripped. It was just really uh, horrific to watch. Uh, it really was. It was very disturbing, and you just wonder, what kind of family would allow their father to go through that. And I'd feel sorry about it, except that Joe Biden mocked President Trump for falling and talked about how fit he is and watch how he run, watch how I run up a ramp, and then he falls. I see this, you know, I guess pride does come before a fall, doesn't it? Well, so there are other things happening, and we are seeing, you know, the prep for uh, the Harris administration coming. In fact, that we saw uh, there is, uh, were leaked inside notes about how every agency now has to say, the Biden-Harris administration, the Biden-Harris administration, not the Biden administration. And I mean, literally, this was a memo that went out to all the agencies. So then, of course, you know that uh, Joe Biden a few days ago again said, uh, uh, called it the Harris administration. (laughs) He actually called that uh, the Harris administration himself out of his own mouth. And he had done that during the campaign as well. Remember that? Well, so... The story came out that the White House has been laying off young staffers who have a history of marijuana use. Now, trust me, I don't understand this because uh, I don't understand this because I know the left, like, they love their marijuana. They just do. And so, uh, but there's been a complaint that several young staffers have been uh, laid off. But, of course, that reminded me very much of Kamala Harris back during the campaign. She was on a morning radio show. And uh, what she did, it was called The Breakfast Club, and it was stunning to me. I've said to you that Kamala's laugh reminds me of someone who's on marijuana, like really happy, the happy laugh. Uh, so I want you to hear what she actually said about marijuana on The Breakfast Club in February of 2019. Let's listen. There are a lot of reasons why we need to legalize Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like and I, and I inhale. I did, in, I did, did inhale. inhale. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> So if it was legalized all throughout the country and (laughs) medicinal, would you, you know, do it? Listen, I think that it gives a lot of people joy, and we need more joy. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted you to hear the laugh of your future president, because uh, she is going to be president uh, sooner rather than later, I think. And so President, you know, President Harris, she loves her some marijuana, and she thinks it brings people a lot of joy. She said joy, it brings joy. So... Uh, so I guess that's how she'll be able to stand when she sees the what's happening at the border and the invasion and when she sees the threats from China. Uh, you know, she can just, uh, you know, take a little smoke and that will make her feel better. And maybe I, I can't believe that the White House is laying people off because of drug use or pot use. That's very undemocratic. I don't I don't quite get that. We'll get into that more at a later date. Meanwhile, I want to change the subject a little bit because I'm going to give you a heads up that on Friday I'm doing an entire show on uh, the leftward move of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so um, 
if you're not Southern Baptist, it, it still applies to you because we are seeing this leftward lurch of the church and of church leaders and of colleges and universities that were so stalwartly Christian. I could go on and on in just a riff here about what's coming to my attention. But um, this one from Tim Keller just a few days ago. Tim Keller, the author who has been so uh, respected, part of the Gospel Coalition, the pastor of this church, and a lot of my friends attend his church, actually, in New York City. Uh, So this is what he said. He said that if culture warriors in the 1980s and the 1990s had been kinder and gentler with homosexual activists, they might like Christians better today. He said that he would agree with what uh, calls the Christian right, uh, says that he opposes abortion, same-sex marriage, but that the tactics evangelicals have used in the past have permanently alienated some in the homosexual community. Uh, but you know, uh, even you know how evangelicals raise their money, as Keller? For 20 years, they sent out letters talking about how you've got to send us money because the gay people are going to try to come and take your children away and because they're evil and because Democrats and the left are going to destroy your religious liberty. They just said awful things and vilified people. It's one of the reasons why so many gay activists now just don't want to forgive evangelicals. Now, could I just jump in and say that I'm one of those people he's talking about? Front and center in the 80s and 90s fighting this, later as the president of Concerned Women for America, sending out mailings about this, yes, raising money to try to help our work and support it to fight what was happening in the radical left, uh, the uh, the homosexual activists. Uh, we saw what was coming. We reported it. We reported it honestly. My staff, including myself, were on television all the time debating what was happening. We debated homosexual activists. Uh, Barney Frank, I, I can just, I could make a whole list of all the people I've debated. And I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand because I was there. I did it, and I knew what happened behind the scenes, and I saw what happened. That no one that I know of, and I know there are exceptions, but no one who was a leader of the movement or a group that was a leader of the movement ever went after homosexuals personally and vilified them. We had kind interactions. I can remember Bob Knight, who worked for me at the time, uh, Bob was really the pioneer in this and in, in debating homosexuals on television. He was one of the first. And he always talked about the prayer and the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, and the the, uh, the humility. And that's exactly what he exhibited. And all of us did that. We did that because we knew that we were sinners also. And so that's an absolute lie. And that's the lie that's picked up by Russell Moore and the Southern Baptist Convention, that these old evangelicals, they, you know, they, made, they made homosexuals hate them because they were so nasty to them. That is an abject lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's the reason why uh, our churches and our pastors are not preaching the gospel. They're not preaching the whole gospel. They're not preaching, you know, Jesus said, tell him whatsoever I've told you about everything, not just the gospel, but everything I've taught you. And one of the things that Jesus taught was sexual purity. He didn't talk about homosexuality, but it was a given as that God's law was to be embraced, and that was very clear in the Old Testament how he felt about that. So I want to contrast Tim Keller. Now, I'm, an, I'm a never-Tim never Kellerer now, I have to say. I'm a never-Russell Moorer, too. Never. I'm not listening to these people. And uh, there are others I could put on that list, but uh, that's going to be part of the discussion on, on Friday. But I want... I want you to hear from some other kind of pastor. This really moved me. This was a pastor, Che An. He's the pastor of Harvest Rock Church in California. And uh, the good news is he recently won a court case 
by the Supreme Court that he's able to stay open with his church. He did shut it down. But I want you to hear, uh, Che comes from uh, North Korea, South Korea, but his dad fled from the North. And he talks about uh, he talks about a lot of things. And I would like to contrast him with Pastor Tim Keller, who safely sits in New York City, the pastor of this very affluent church in New York City, to this gentleman, Che An, the pastor of Harvest Rock Church. Let's listen, clip 15. I get a letter from my uh, city prosecutor here in Pasadena. It was a very dark, nasty letter. And he said, if you continue to meet, we will arrest you. We will find your church members $1,000 per person per meeting that you've been meeting at. We're talking about millions of dollars. And we have the right to arrest your church members. And I'm thinking to myself, because my father was a prisoner of war in North Korea as a pastor. And he escaped because the U.S. forces pushed the Communist Party into China. And he was able to come down with the American forces and eventually met my mom and had me. And we immigrated here. And I'm thinking about the stories he told. And I'm thinking, we're not in North Korea. We're not in communist China. This is the United States. And they want to arrest church members, law-abiding citizens who pay their taxes. And they just want to worship. And then here's the crazy irony of the whole thing. Newsom is allowing prisoners out because of COVID crowdedness. He wanted social distancing in the prison. So all these prisoners are being released. And yet now we're being threatened to be arrested. And so we uh, appealed to the district court for relief. And they said, no, you're breaking the law. You can be arrested. A major court battle was recently won by a church in California. And we're sitting here with the pastor, Pastor Che On, to talk about this. Now, he's the pastor with Harvest Rock Church. And they recently won this battle that lets them stay open despite these COVID restrictions. Now, this court battle has been going on for a while now. Basically, I understand you were told you couldn't hold in-person uh, in-person well, church. Well, yeah, going all the way back to March, of course, um, everything was locked down, including President Trump asking for a 30-day lockdown nationally. And we got it. And so, you know, we want to mitigate. We didn't know what this uh, coronavirus was all about. And so uh, we did our part. We closed down our service on March the 15th. And, um, and we had uh, services online. And so we did that, and it was really sacrificial because we missed Easter, which was in April, and our anniversary is April the 4th. So we missed our anniversary service, and then we have our annual conference. And it's a conference, uh, international conference. People come from all over the world, and that's also in April. And we had to cancel all that, which we were you know, willing to do because of the COVID. Okay, well, there's more to that interview, and it's in Epoch Times, but that's Pastor Che On, past, a pastor of Harvest Rock in California. And so uh, he has shown such incredible courage. And I, I just was thinking, I've mentioned this to you before. I want to reference it again. This is the scripture in Revelation. And uh, I'm going to read from the English Standard. Uh, it talks about who will not be in heaven. Who will not be in heaven? And you'd think the first person on the list would be the, oh, the homosexual, let's say that, or the, uh, the adulterer, or the murderer, or, you know, the guy that likes pornography. doesn't say that. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and then it goes into as for murderers, the sexually immorers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But the first one on the list is the cowardly. The cowardly. 
and the faithless. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, pastors listening to me, God does not like cowardice. And he was always harder on people who knew the truth and understood it and did nothing. He was harder on them than he ever was pagans or sinners. He ate, remember, with the publicans and sinners. He was criticized for that. How could he do that, hang around with sinners? Because he had compassion for them. Who he didn't have compassion for were religious leaders who had words and piety and a form of godliness, but no power because they did nothing. Because Che, Pastor Che goes on and talks about why pastors should be involved. It's a great interview. He talks about why, you know, we must step up. He said, he, you know, they try to comply. This was in the COVID restrictions. Uh, but then we realized that uh, the, the things we were being told were not true. And we had to meet. We have to have church. And then they were told not to sing. And he said, how could they do this? They, they're letting, you know, um, in California where he is, they're allowing all these movie productions and television shows to continue to sing. But in church, we can't sing. And so they refused to comply. And so um, they did win. So far, they're taking, they have another court case pending because they're not going to bend on the singing part. Uh, and so, and I want to give you another piece of good news because people can prevail now. It's not impossible. Uh, in Minnesota, Governor Tim Waltz has rescinded all occupancy requirements on Minnesota's houses of worship. And that's because of a federal lawsuit filed by our friends at Thomas More Society, Tom Brecka and that group. And uh, so now the governor there has to has had to rescind all occupancy requirements in Minnesota's houses of worship. You see, you have to fight. You have to fight. You may be like the shopkeeper in Michigan, the pizza owner who's in jail this morning, uh, but she is not going to stop fighting. Her bravery was just inspiring. Remember, the cowardly, the cowardly are the ones who will be tossed into the fire a burning sulfur do not be a coward be brave and of good courage sandy rios in the morning on afr talk the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the american family association or american family radio